these diseases, especially cervical cancer, breast cancer, disproportionately affect my community. I mean, our cervical cancer rate is actually 44% higher than our white population. And so I think, again, a lot of it has to do with lack of access to care. Welcome to Sex, Body and Soul. I'm Kate Roberts, founder of The Body Agency. And on this show, we talk about the marvel that is our bodies, what they can do and what they need to thrive. Ladies out there, our time is now. Let's get to it. Our next guest is Dr. Erica Montes, who is a board-certified obstetrician and gynecologist and creator. She attended medical school at the University of Texas Health Science Center in San Antonio and was elected one of the chief residents in her last year of residency at the largest program in the country, a Parkland Hospital in Dallas, Texas. Aside from being a full-time physician and a medical blotter, she is the mama to three beautiful boys who keep her very grounded. We are also thrilled to have Dr. Montes serving on the Body Agency's medical board. Dr. Erica Montes, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Kate. I'm happy to be here. We are so excited to have you and excited about all the work that we have been doing together so far. It is amazing when women come together, what we can actually accomplish and quickly juggling our families, juggling our jobs. And you are definitely somebody who does all that very, very well. So we're thrilled to have you on the show. And tell us a little bit about you. Where are you based? What do you do? And who are you? Thank you. Yes. So I am a board certified obstetrician and gynecologist. I am a generalist. So I deliver babies and I do gynecological surgery. And my practice is in Phoenix, Arizona. I was born and raised in Texas. I was born on in El Paso, Texas, which is on the U.S.-Mexico border. And I grew up, though, more in Dallas, Texas, and I did all my training there. I did do my residency at the famous or maybe infamous Parkland Hospital, which is in Dallas, where JFK was taken when he was assassinated. And I was able to become the chief resident at one of the largest programs in the country. So I had excellent training. I saw a lot. I did a lot. And I'm so fortunate that I was able to be a part of that team. I basically have at this point in my life, I've been practicing now for 10 years. I have three beautiful boys. My husband's a physician as well. He does pain medicine. And I kind of came on the social media scene about two years ago when I was nursing my third son. And at two in the morning, a light bulb went off and said, hey, Erica, you know a lot. You have a lot to give and you need to put yourself out there. So that way you can just give yourself to to not only your family, but also to people who aren't your patients. And so I, the uh, idea of the modern mujer, which is modern in English and mujer, it means woman in Spanish. So I kind of made it a bilingual little mix. But the idea for that blog came to me one night. And basically my goal is to just provide information regarding female health, medicine in general. I like to speak to our future doctors or aspiring physicians and give them advice and tips. And then also women empowerment, because I feel as though we all could use a little bit of that every day. Well, I I think it's absolutely remarkable what you're doing. And talk about your background, your first generation 
Yeah. So thank you for asking. So I'm actually third generation, but my grandmothers were born in in Mexico. And so my grandfathers were born in in the States, um, one in Texas and one in California. We spoke Spanish, though, still growing up, not so much with my parents, but mainly with my grandparents, because my grandmothers didn't know English. But my mother's mom, she actually became a citizen and she was so proud the day she got her her citizenship. And I remember her speaking to us in in English and, and she was, you know, I was so happy for her. And so I think, I think just having that ability to be able to communicate in English and in Spanish, especially with my patients, it's a blessing. And I'm so happy that, that I was able to continue that, my language, mm. my native language. Well, we do know about huge disparities with minorities in this country of the United States of America. And, you know, it's pretty it's pretty bad considering now that minorities are pretty much going to be making up a large proportion of the country. And healthcare is one of the things that still is really lacking. And I, I do happen to know that a lot of your patients are Hispanic and they're very lucky to have you speaking Spanish and really understanding them because you know, when you go to a medical provider, you want them to relate to you. You want them to look like you and to really understand uh, what you are going through. So talk to us a little bit about that and what sort of disparities are you finding? Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. And I really want to say, Kate, thank you so much for having me on your podcast, because I really feel like a lot of the Latino culture or Latinx culture isn't brought to light as much as other minority groups. And it's important that we know about this culture because by 2060, 30% of our population will identify as Latino. And so it's very important for everyone who doesn't know anyone in our group or doesn't have, you know, any background about them that they know what we're facing and how we can make a difference. Mm -hmm. So um, with that being said, you know, right now, unfortunately, only about five percent of of practicing physicians in the United States are Latinos or identify as Latinx. The barriers really come down to just access to care in terms of, you know, I, I, I read a statistic that a third of Latinos in our country don't have a usual healthcare provider. They kind of go through different clinics or they end up in the emergency room, which of course is expensive. And, you know, our communities may not have as many clinics or, or places where they can, they can go easily to be able to seek that care. You know, transportation, of course, is a barrier and, and lack of insurance. Uh, language is like one of the biggest, biggest barriers that I see every day. As soon as I, as soon as I walk in the room and I start speaking Spanish to the patient, we have a little flag on our, on their chart that has an S and I know that they speak Spanish. As soon as I say, Hola, soy la la doctora Montes, they're, they're so happy. They just start, you know, (laughs) want to hug me. They, They can't believe it. They're like, Oh my God, you're my doctor. Gracias. Muchas gracias. You know, so that makes me proud because I know that there aren't many physicians, especially OBGYNs that can speak, you know, medical Spanish, of course, but when you can actually have a conversation with them and, and get to know them on a different level, you know, that's definitely a, a, some, a change and that definitely decreases that barrier to communication. And then, of course, there's still our, our cultural barriers. As Latinos, we tend to value the family unit. We want 
our families to be a part of our healthcare and and make to help us make decisions. You know, when I deliver one of my Latina patients before COVID, you know, there'd be like 20 people in the room. It's a whole family affair. Um, you know, we'd have grandma, we'd have all the aunts, which we call tias. We'd have all the cousins. And, and it was just a, you know, it was just a, a, a great time in, in, in our, in their lives, you know, and, and that's, and that's a blessing for them. But I think because there are also those taboos, especially in regards to reproductive and sexual health in our culture, that also kind of leads to other barriers in terms of, you know, a higher risk of pregnancy, unplanned pregnancy and, and just kind of actually seeking out that care. Mm. You know, I have to tell you uh, of an experience that I had a couple of years ago going to uh, Central America because, you know, some parts of the U.S. are no different than Mexico, Central America. I mean, as you know, we're doing this project on the border right now of Mexico and and the U.S., and it's really like global health at home with the communities there, very little access to healthcare. We have to use mobile health clinics to reach the communities there. And I don't think the average American really realizes that. And of course, what blows my mind is that you are part of a 5% of Latino Physicians. I mean, that right. just blows my mind. That just doesn't seem to make any sense to me. But when we were we were on a health mission to Central America, took some major celebrities there, and uh, including Juanes, uh, you know the oh nice Col- Colombian, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah uh, the singer, mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, Ashley Judd and Salma Hayek, who is obviously Mexican, and uh, we got an audience with one of the archbishops. And of course, religion, you know, being Catholic, Roman Catholic, creates all these barriers to sexual reproductive health and also disease control, right? Whether it's STIs or HIV or, and as you say, pregnancy. So as we are sitting with this archbishop, we're there on an HIV mission and we basically start telling, he was like, why are you here? And, you know, he was all interested in the celebrity component and we told him and he said, there's no AIDS here because nobody is promiscuous and, um, you know, blah, 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 blah. And we we tried to explain to him, well, actually, that's one of the reasons that we're here because of teenage pregnancy and HIV and STI. So somebody must be being promiscuous. And he basically said, those are people who come into our country. So case in point, lots of work to be done in general around the world. But when we get back to the U.S., I think religion also brings a huge barrier also with sexual wellness because there's so much taboos that are associated to our bodies and pleasure component, right? Whether it's pleasure, whether it's, you know, safety, violence against women, which is, I think, prominent in a lot of marginalized communities. Well, all communities, violence does not have a a community per se. But yeah, when you get back to the US, it is a problem. And do you find that with your patients? Because a lot of gynecologists I speak to who are also on the Body Agency Body Board, basically say that one of the major things that women come into and talk about is their, you know, lack of libido or, you know, 
those issues like vaginal dryness, painful sex, and of course, you know, the big one, which is contraception and family planning and, 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 and what have been your experiences with all of this? Yeah, you know, I think especially in the Latina community, when it comes to contraception, a lot of my Spanish speaking patients want to confirm with their husband or, or, you know, make sure that their husband feels comfortable with with their decision. And, and I and so I always tell them, you know, let's have him come next time. Let's include him in this conversation because together they can make a decision and feel good about it. I have had more patients, especially Latinas, approach the subject of libido and and pleasure and those types of things, which I'm very happy about. And I actually ask them about, especially my postmenopausal or my menopausal patients, you know, hey, are you having what problems are you having with intercourse? What are you noticing vaginal dryness? Because basically every postmenopausal woman has that symptom. They just don't want to bring it up. And then, of course, there's those symptoms that patients get really shy and embarrassed about, such as urinary incontinence and things like that, that I actually just ask them, are you experiencing that? Because a lot of Latinas are very, very shy because that's how we grew up. We didn't talk about sex. We didn't talk about our vaginas. We didn't talk about birth control. And I even grew up that way myself. So sometimes me talking about this every day, it feels kind of, it's it's kind of like a disconnect because I grew up a certain way. And now as a as a Latina OBGYN, it's almost like, wait a second, this doesn't make sense to me. You know what I mean? It's almost like an oxymoron, but I'm happy to be here. So that way I can address those issues with these women. And nine times out of 10, if I have a Spanish speaking patient before I do her pelvic exam, she's like, I'm so embarrassed. Me da pena. That means I'm embarrassed. I don't want you to see me. And I, and I tell them, look, I'm happy that you're here. I'm your doctor. You can feel comfortable with me. Let's do your exam so we can make sure that you're you're healthy and you're healthy for your yourself and your family. Mm-hmm. And still, I think, like I said, a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, these diseases, especially cervical cancer, breast cancer, disproportionately affect my community. I mean, our cervical cancer rate is actually 44 percent higher than our white population. And so I think, again, a lot of it has to do with lack of access to care, as well as our cultural barriers and just that feeling of if I feel fine, I'm okay. There's Mm -hmm. like no kind of preventative care that that we tend to seek. And and I think I think that's very important to address, Mm -hmm. especially in the Latino community. It really is like we are doing global health at home. You know, my background has been traveling around the world, looking at resources, looking at innovation, looking at the gaps, and then trying to come up with solutions to scale some of these interventions and services to make available to marginalized communities. But listening to you and and listening to our colleagues on the border, it sounds like we're, we're, we're you know, we've got these issues on our doorstep and opportunities on our doorstep. That statistic, 44% cervical cancer, 44%. I mean, that is absolutely astounding. And as, as we know, cervical cancer is completely preventable. Nobody should get cervical cancer anymore. And a few years ago, we had heard from the CDC, Center of Disease Control, that 
by swabbing a woman's cervix with white household vinegar, you can detect early signs of cervical cancer. And, and we took this idea to India and we innovated with some private medical providers and, and clinics. And absolutely, we saw it bubble up and become white when there were cancerous cells. And then we were just able right. to freeze off the cancerous cells from the woman's cervix. Now, I tell this story because I feel like if we don't have adequate healthcare in the US for, the, for our communities that are living here, Hispanic communities or Latino communities, African-American communities, you know, minorities in general, we perhaps need to start thinking about these low-cost, effective solutions that we can implement in hard-to-reach areas across the U.S. Yeah. You know, I like your story because it, it kind of puts it into perspective how it can be something so simple, but you have to get the patient, or we can go to them, but, you know, we have to do something that we can, where we can actually physically see them and, and do this. You know, this, I want to bring up this sad story, but just to kind of make a point, when I was in residency, so this would have been at, in Dallas at Parkland in 2011, I would say. I was a third year resident and I was on call for gynecology. And I got a, we had pagers back then. <laughs> so they paged me and they said, we have a, a GYN patient here because I was on call for the ER and she can't pee. And we did a CT scan and, and she had, maybe she has a ovarian cyst or, or a large cyst that, you know, we want you to come check out. So I said, OK, this should be easy. This is fine. You know, maybe that not pain thing is something not related. We'll I'll examine her and kind of see what we're dealing with. So I took her to our, our room where we have our everything set up for G, GYN exams. And, and she was, you know, this younger 29 year old. Um, Latina woman, Spanish speaking, who had three children at this point. And basically she said, yeah, you know, I, I've been kind of having some issues over the last several months, but I finally just decided to come in because, yeah, I, I really can't pee anymore. And I'm like, huh, OK, let me examine you. So I put her in the stirrups and, and I start examining her and, and she has a large fungating cervical mass. And I'm like, Okay. So I explained to her, I say, you know, this is what I'm seeing and, and this is what I'm, I'm finding. And she's like, you know what? I didn't want to tell them, but you know, I have been having just irregular periods, heavy bleeding, a bad smell, but you know, I had to take care of my kids and I just, I just didn't want to bring it up to anyone because I was embarrassed. And I said, you know, unfortunately, I, I do think this is a cervical cancer. And, and basically what had happened was, is the mass was so large that it was pushing on her ureters, which are the tubes that connect the kidney to the bladder. And so she literally could not pee anymore. Wow. And she she got treatment and and she, you know, she ultimately, though, was a, a, a stage four cervical cancer, which those are, are really hard to survive from. But that stage. But you know, that proves a point that especially in our community with these different barriers, you know, a 29 year old with three babies. And I just cried with her. I mean, I, I, I didn't know how else I could communicate that with her. And it just it just was such a hard time in my residency. And I'll never forget that day. And and that's just you know, that's something that will stay with me for forever. Oh, what a sad, sad, sad story. And one that I've right. seen very sadly 
all over the world. Right. And again, cervical cancer is completely preventable. And we need to make sure that all girls and women around the world get the HPV vaccine to start with right. around 11. And then, you know, once they become adults and sexually active, regular checks. Is it, is it every two years now? What, what, what's it been moved to? So right now, the screening guidelines are to start at age 21, regardless mm-hmm. of sexual activity. And then between age 21 and 30, it is every three years if you don't have a previous history of a, an abnormal pap. And I'll explain to you in a minute why that that's the case. And then basically age 30 to 65 to 70, depending on what guidelines you see. It's technically every five years because we're screening for cells and HPV. I still tend to do every three years for my patients because I just feel more comfortable with that kind of spacing. But I do have some patients that say, you know what, I understand. As long as they understand that the pap smear is to screen for cervical cancer, unfortunately, we don't have a a, um, screening test yet for uterine or ovarian cancer. And they understand that because I think some patients, if we tell them their pap smear is normal, they, they in their head think, okay, I don't have any type of GYN cancer. I don't have endometriosis. I don't have ovarian cysts. But if I think when I explain it to them that way and they realize if they don't have HPV, the chances of cervical cancer are less than 0.5% because that's the number one culprit of or cause of cervical cancer. Then, then they're more attuned to being to doing the screening how it it's recommended. But the reason why is because especially in our younger population between age twenty one and and twenty nine, there is such a, a much higher incidence of HPV. But it is tends to be transient between one to two years that we see this. And if we continue to screen them every year, then we could be more likely to do procedures that can harm their fertility or or just kind of be unnecessary and, and, and anxiety provoking. And so that's why we tend to do that screening along those lines, because they're, they're even talking about maybe just doing the HPV test versus not the cells, which is called co-testing. That, that I think may not go through, but as long as we're testing for HPV, I feel confident enough to do that mm. um, recommended screening every three years. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, prevention of all of it, I keep saying this, but prevention is a lot cheaper than treatment, right? So um, none of us wants to have cancer. And some of the signs that we should look out for, I understand, are genital warts, discharge, foul-smelling discharge. Now, this can also be mistaken if you have thrush or yeast infection or uh, vaginal bacteria, bacterial vaginal. Yeah, you're the doctor. (laughs) I mean, sadly, sadly, I've become an expert because- You are. You're an expert too, honey. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm an expert because I'm a woman. Right. Yeah, and that's so, true. And you know, you've seen it all. I mean, you've seen it all. You've well, seen a lot. I, I've seen it all, but my body works just the same as every there other woman's go. body out there, whether you live that's on a dollar right. a day or a thousand dollars a day or God forbid what else. But, you right. know, I know what a yeast infection is. I know what a UTI is. I have had it all and it's completely normal and we should right. not be embarrassed. Um, it's just Thank how you. our bodies function. But for everyone who's who's listening out there, also who have children, your boy and your girl should have an HPV vaccination. Boys, because you can get 
throat cancer from oral sex, right? Am I right? Right. That's Um, correct. And of course, girls, uh, HPV causes cervical cancer. I have very sadly watched somebody die from cervical cancer. It is the most undignified, awful, awful pain and smell you could possibly imagine. And like your your residency experience, I will never forget that. We were actually in Myanmar in Southeast Asia, and I will never, ever, ever forget that day. And she had been completely shunned by the rest of her community because the smell was so bad. So it's all about prevention. And so talk to us a little bit about, about that, you know, the signs, the signs that you can watch out for. And when do you go to your gynecologist and when do you not? So one, one important key point that I want to mention for all our listeners is that if you get a call from the GYN office that your pap smear is abnormal, just to kind of make it easy, that does not mean that you have cervical cancer. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's really, really important because I know a lot of patients, as soon as they hear that, the first word that comes to their mind is cancer. And so the beauty of the pap smear, and that's why it's so important, is that we can actually detect early stages prior to cancer or precancerous cells called cervical dysplasia. And there's different levels that, that happen. And the majority of those low level changes do revert or do go back to normal. And then it's the higher changes that we that we have to make sure that we're kind of keeping up with and, and doing your routine visits and colposcopies. But basically, the the cha- the signs and symptoms that you want to look for, of course, is irregular bleeding. You know, if you start having spotting between periods or bleeding that's not on your, not based on your regular cycle, those those could be some signs of of bleeding from cervical cells. And then you also want to look for any, as you mentioned, abnormal discharge or foul smelling discharge, that would be more advanced stage cancers if, if that if or if that's what you were experiencing. Because remember, you can have abnormal or foul smelling discharge and that could just be a bacterial vaginosis, but mm-hmm. that would be more of a chronic issue that you, you know, that you ha- haven't been able to take care of. And just to clarify, because I know, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of people are now listening and go, oh my God, oh my God, I have discharge. <laughs> discharge right. is normal, people. Right. Every woman has white discharge. It yes. is part of being a woman. It's part yes. of ovulating. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and even when you stop ovulating, you still uh, you, get discharge, right? right? Exactly. So. Right. So, yeah, I mean, there are certain signs and symptoms, but I think if you go for your annual exam and, of course, make any problem visit that you notice, I'd rather you come in and, and we tell you everything's good because you were just concerned because of a new change then you wait and just kind of say, oh, it'll get better. We'll wait it out. And then, you know, at that point, after many months or years, you never know what you're going to find. So mm-hmm. it's always important to just be proactive about your health. Mm-hmm. And to get back to our, our kids, our children, you would recommend at 11 the HPV yeah, so it actually starts at age nine, but 11 is, is perfect. I know a lot of pediatricians are giving it in that preteen age range. And, you know, it's it's one of those things that, like Kate said, we want to do we want to give it to our girls and to our boys. My mm-hmm. son is eight right now. He's going to be getting his, you know, in the next couple years. 
And it's very important because if we want to decrease cervical cancer, remember, half of the vectors are our males, are our boys. So if we can decrease that part or portion of, of this disease, then that's going to help to decrease the incidence of, mm. of cervical dysplasia and cervical cancer. I have a little bit of an icky question for you, and <laughs> it definitely goes into the category of what your mother wouldn't tell you. Yeah. Um, so sure. this is also about STIs, right? Chlamydia, gonorrhea, trick, they're all just absolutely the leading STIs, STDs, sexually transmitted diseases in America. So an odor down there, whether it's an odor from a penis or an odor from a vulva or a vagina, what's mm-hmm. what's normal and what's not? And sure. if you're going to have unprotected sex, when is it, like, what are the signs that you shouldn't be doing it? Sure. So, you know, I always want to tell patients that you will have a baseline order as far as your vaginal area goes. And that's just, that's just a natural thing. You know, it depends on your physical activity, your hygiene, if you had just, if you just had intercourse or not, all those, all those play a factor. But I think if you are starting to notice an odor that basically has more of like a fishy smell, or as one of my patients put it, it smells like a, like a dead animals in China. That's what she mentioned. I was like, oh my God, lady, let me check you now. <laughs> it's a dead animal. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah, that's how she described one. it. <laughs> no, I didn't find one. And sometimes though, when you, when my patients have bad odors, it's a retained tampon. And that's yeah. a whole nother, you know, yep. a whole nother thing. And you can get, you can have a talk, a serious yep. condition from that called toxic shock syndrome. So we have to be careful about that. But any odor that, you know, just is out of the ordinary because you're there, you will have an odor. It's important for women to realize though, that you want to clean your vulva, which is the external portion, because that's where there's sweat and hair and you can clean that with gentle soaps, but you do not need to clean inside your vagina. Mm-hmm. You, the bacteria and the pH balance that's in there is, is self-cleaning. So you don't have to put your fingers inside. You just clean on the outside with your hand and, and, a, and soap. But you know, if you see obviously a partner, if you have intercourse with males and they have a lesion on their penis or something, of course, you, don't, you just do not want to have intercourse with them. And then for women too, if you have a, if you're having intercourse with women, you, if you do have smell and odor that doesn't smell right, then of course you want to not refrain from having sex with them until they get checked. Mm -hmm. But I think going back to what you said, I mean, everyone needs to get tested for their, for STIs. I mean that even before you start into a new sexual relationship, and I know that's not always the case, but I wish we could do that. Well, um, as you know, and we're absolutely thrilled to have you on the Body Agency's Body Board, we love to test out new innovation. And Mm -hmm. we've partnered up with Bisbee Medical, a startup medical company that has invented a rapid STI testing kit. And it does test for those chlamydia, trick and gonorrhea diseases. Mm -hmm. Um, And it also just takes about 20 minutes. How has your experience been using this device? And what's the past? Is the past having to wait two days to deliver the diagnosis, sending it off to the lab? To the lab? Right. (laughs) 
Tell me about your experience with this. And like, what innovation do we need here in America? I mean, that, you know, this is groundbreaking. I mean, I am, I'm so excited to be able to use this in my own clinic. Patients are thrilled. You know, they love to, you know, nowadays because of social media and how we have the, you know, so much information at our fingertips, everyone wants to find any result out. ASAP. I'm so happy to be able to try it out. It's very easy to use. Basically, a patient can actually do a self-swab in her vaginal area. They want you to just use a cotton tip swab. They can swab their area, their vaginal canal about 20 times. And then they simply place it into a very small container and just kind of shake it around a little bit and throw the swab out. And then they give us the container with the fluid and the sample. And we use a little pipel to put some of the fluid into this cool little box. It's, it's probably the size of maybe a little bit bigger than a card deck. But you push these three buttons and that kind of sends the reaction out and you then plug it in into the wall. And it takes exactly 18 minutes and it's beautiful. It, it will light up. It says chlamydia gonorrhea, trichomonas, and then it'll light up where if, it, if it's positive and if it's negative, no, you don't see any, any color, but mm. it's, it's a perfect test. I think it's, it's very sensitive because it's a PCR test. So it's actually testing for the genetic material of these organisms. And I think it's great. And I'm, I'm happy that I'm, I'm able to try it out. Yeah. Well, you know, if the, the world needs more doctors like you and the world needs more innovation like this rapid PCR test. And I think combined with access, education, changing those taboos and stigmas that we have associated to our bodies. And, you know, the last thing I'll say, because we are very sadly out of time, is when I talk to you, I think about this trip I did a couple of years ago to the Dominican Republic, which again is right on our doorstep. And I walked into a clinic, maternal health clinic. And when I say it was full of 12 year old girls with huge bellies, I sat down, obviously all Latina, you know, from the Dominican Republic. And most of them didn't even know how they got pregnant or how you get pregnant. They didn't even understand that notion that sex leads to pregnancy. Now, the damage an early pregnancy like that can have on a girl, as you know, is just not, not just your, the toll it takes on your body, but then the violence. You can't go to school anymore. I mean, it's just a rapid, rapid poverty-driven cycle so we are lucky to have you, Erica, the work that you do, the, let me see if I can get this right, modern muhead. Muhead, yep, you got it. Modern muhead, which I love, modern woman, because that's what we need, right? That's what we need and access. So we appreciate you very much. I feel like we've got much work to do around the world and especially for minorities, Latina, African-American communities who don't have the right access. Um, we're going to change that. So I appreciate you very much and thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much, Kate. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Sex, Body and Soul. Remember, you can find all my favorite products and resources to support your health and sexual wellness through my one-stop shop, The Body Agency. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast listening platform. 
We are actually partnering up with Vital Voices to get much-needed dignity kits to the refugees in Ukraine. Girls and women do not have access to personal hygiene products that keep them safe and healthy. Please go to thebodyagency.com to donate a dignity kit today. Be sure also to sign up for our email list at The Body Agency for the latest curated recommendations from our industry experts and use our special promotional code PODCAST10 to get a 10% discount. Thank you for listening.